Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. Thanks for joining us for another edition of ITE Talks Transportation. I'm Bernie Wagenblast. I'm excited to talk with this month's guest, Shelley Rowe. Now, many of you will know Shelley from her time with FHWA and USDOT, while others may be more familiar with her work over the past decade with her own company, which is now called Blue Fjord Leaders, where she's a noted coach and speaker, among other things. Shelley, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Bernie. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, great to have you. And I think we're going to be talking about some topics that we really haven't touched on that much before during the podcast. Let's get right into it. You know, I've not done a scientific survey, but I imagine if you did, you'd find that most people who are members of ITE and who work in the transportation industry probably began with a Bachelor of Science degree. Now, a BS tends to emphasize technical skills, and that emphasis often continues in professional development. But there's great value in building leadership skills like emotional intelligence, communication, empathy, what some might consider soft skills. What's the importance of developing these so-called soft skills for transportation professionals during their careers? Well, you know, Bernie, I hear this a lot, and I think the answer is really very easy. Developing those relational skills, we call them soft skills, but they're actually pretty hard for many of us that they're really only important if you want to be successful. And it's just, it's just really that easy. You know, I've worked with a variety of companies and I've seen some of the most technically talented people actually lose their job because they just torpedoed the entire office environment and they couldn't work with people. And it meant that even though they were technically wonderful, they weren't effective because of those, their inability to have a good working relationship. And I would even go further to say, too, that in my experience at USDOT, previously we would see uh, amazing research studies and great project recommendations, and we couldn't do anything with them because they were so poorly communicated, and we couldn't tell a story about them. We couldn't connect with the people who were the decision makers because we didn't have the kind of information, the way it could be consumed by those decision makers. So, you know, communication skills and relationship skills, they're just essential. Do you think people are coming to realize how essential those skills are these days? Well, it depends. And I do think that one of the things that we as an industry can do is to talk more about how important it is. During this period of COVID, Bernie, when I stopped traveling, so I wasn't uh, on the speaking circuit, I interviewed 18 transportation leaders. And I asked them these very questions. You work with technical professionals, you see them move into management and leadership positions, what goes well and what doesn't go well. And uniformly, I got a pretty clear picture. One is that we technical professionals, and it didn't mean necessarily engineers, but we all work in kind of a technical field, we're great problem solvers. You know, we're really technically oriented. We've got that details. uh, We're analytical and give us a problem and we're going to find the answer. Mm -hmm. And that's great. And in fact, 
I believe we want more of that in leadership positions. But what we typically see is that when that person moves into management or leadership, the skill set completely changes. So what those leaders told me is that they're looking for people with empathy. It was the most common word I heard. Empathy. People who could adapt their approach based on who they were working with and who they were talking to. They didn't have a rigid approach to things. They were comfortable delegating, collaborating, being able to adapt to work with their staff and with others, very much relationship-oriented skills. And those leaders told me how important it was not only for the success of their projects, but for the success of their business in many cases, whether it's public sector or the private sector. And yet we don't talk about it as much as I really think that we should to encourage technical people to develop those skills because it's outside of our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So unless we got a little bit of a nudge, we tend to not want to go there. We talk about some of these skills being learned once you've graduated, once you're on the job. Do you find any indication that this is being taught more than it was perhaps in the past in school and the undergraduate courses that engineers and planners and other transportation professionals are taking? You know, that's a good question, Bernie. And I don't have a lot of good data on that. I do have some anecdotal information from these interviews. And one of the gentlemen I interviewed, he's, a, uh, he's been a top leader in a public agency as well as in a private company. And he's working with his university where he graduated to bring more of these skills into the undergraduate program. What he tells me is that it's a very difficult sell there too because there's a limit on the number of course hours that a person takes to get a degree. So if you add in a communications or a presentation skills course, then you have to take something else out to stay within that total number of credits. And now I don't know whether that is pervasive across the university environment, but he was very concerned with the difficulty they were having bringing some of this kind of training into a university environment. I think it's a difficult thing. And consequently, we see most of it happening in the workplace. You touched on this before, but I think everyone knows it goes without saying that during the last few months, it's been unique in terms of how we're engaging with our coworkers, our staff, clients, employees, etc. Have you seen transportation professionals adapting to this new virtual world in terms of professional development in different ways? And going along with that, what strengths have you seen in engaging virtually and what areas, on the other hand, can be improved as far as trying to deal with people virtually? Yeah, you know, and I have to say, I've been very impressed. For There's so many people who've been harmed during this period. And yet, when I look at the experience that I've observed, I'm struck by the creativity, the innovation, the creativity, the flexibility that many of our transportation professionals have brought to the table. As you mentioned, we've been on Zoom and Teams all the time, every single day. Mm. And I've been impressed by the level of adaptability that we've seen in our colleagues to dive into this. And I have to say, you know, I do professional speaking and training, and I always said, oh, my work, 
it's too experiential. It could never <laughs> be done virtually. And now here we are, and I've had to prove myself wrong <laughs> and find ways, right? Find ways to make it compelling and engaging. And I've been so surprised, Bernie, that there have been some silver linings. In some ways, when we actually work it and we really make an effort in a virtual platform, I see more engagement, not less. Mm -hmm. People who would have been reticent to speak up in an open meeting or an in-person meeting don't have any problem at all participating in a poll or a chat. You can't be interrupted when you're chatting online. <laughs> I've been very pleased to see that there are some things that are kind of uniquely available to us in this environment. I've been using uh, some tools like Mural and Miro. There's some applications that allow online collaboration. And once again, it completely evens out the ability for everyone in the room to participate as much as they would like. So that's been, been kind of a, a silver lining that I didn't expect to see. You talk about how you've had to adapt and prove yourself wrong. One of the things that you've been involved with has been the Leadership ITE program. And last year's program or this year's program, depending on how you look at it, was interrupted by the pandemic. You suddenly had to switch from a lot of in-person events to doing things uh, virtually, like with Zoom or Microsoft Teams, et cetera. The 2021 program is going to be 100% virtual. What's been the experience of planning for this kind of new reality the last several months? And what have you learned about things that have had to change? And what are you most excited about for the incoming class? It was a doozy of a year this past <laughs> year. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to the team at Leadership ITE. Uh, we all had to spin on a dime. And Kathy Driggs at ITE headquarters, Adam Allen, Keith Hall, who are managing the Leadership ITE program as volunteers, they just all dove in and we would get together and figure out what are we going to do and how are we going to do it. And the thing, Bernie, that impressed me the most about that is the conversation always centered on what's the best thing for the participant. What's going to give them the best experience and what's going to give them the best learning? And that's what we did. It didn't matter what it took. And I will say one of the things I think we've all learned is that that virtual platform takes more time. It takes more effort. It takes more planning. You know, it was quite a big shift to do that very quickly for this year's class. But it, and it wouldn't have happened where is it not for that great team effort. And now this year with 2021, we're planning it right from the beginning to be all virtual. And it still takes more effort, more planning in order to make it the quality learning experience that we expect. And that's the thing I'm most excited about. I have been so impressed with ITE's willingness to embrace an experiential learning model. It's a more modern approach to adult learning. It's based on the way the brain works. All of my work is based in neuroscience. And so we've taken the principles behind how the brain works and how people learn and what makes things memorable, and we've designed the entire program to be experiential. 
so that the participant, they learn some piece of information, they apply it to their own situation. We talk about it. How are you going to bring delegation into your own office? How are you going to understand the communication style of your team? And we talk about what it means to them. We practice it in class. And then we send them out with homework to do to apply it in their own workplace. And then we have themes that bring back some of the key learnings that we really want to engage in. The main, the main skills that I heard from those 18 leaders, those are the ones we're focusing on. And we will bring them back from session to session to session so they continue to practice and to learn. And ITE has been great. They've been 100% behind it. And every single session has an experiential component to it that will help it be more memorable and applicable. Shelly, at some point, we don't know what that point is. We're going to get back to where we can meet face-to-face and that we can travel and things of that sort. But are there things that you've learned from doing the Leadership ITE program virtually that you think will last beyond that point where we we are getting back face-to-face and we're able to travel that we'll still be doing some things virtually that perhaps work even better in that kind of a format? Yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting transition in another way um, when we get to that point. And I think for me, it's made me less obstinate, quite honestly, (laughs) less obstinate about a hybrid learning approach. So one of the things that we've also experienced in 2021 for the upcoming leadership ITE class is how much more accessible the program is when it doesn't include travel. So we've gotten a stronger response to this year's class because they didn't have to travel. So I think in the future going forward, we can perhaps look at some hybrid approaches and not have the perception that it's a lesser experience. You know, we can create a profound learning experience with networking, with student connection, even in a virtual environment. So I think it frees us to uh, be more creative in the way that we approach learning because we want to make leadership ITE the go-to training for transportation professionals because it is going to have high caliber programs, relevant content, and impactful results. So that's what we're going for, and we're going to use whatever platform we have to create that kind of dynamic learning experience. Earlier this year, ITE held their annual meeting for the first time virtually. Transportation organizations of all stripes, as well as organizations in all industries, have had to go to virtual annual meetings and things of that sort. For someone who might be attending one of those, any tips that you might give as to how they can get the most out of attending or if they happen to be someone who is presenting, how they can best present in that kind of an environment? Yeah, and that's a good question, Bernie. Let me start with the presentation side because I do a lot of speaking around that issue. Uh, I do think we've been a bit slow embracing the virtual format completely. Uh, because now this is our brand. And while you and I are on audio, were we on video, it would be very important to have very clear images, good lighting, good sound. And too often, I still see cameras pointing at ceilings, (laughs) 
somebody's in front of a big window and you can't see their face. You know, this is our new professional persona and brand. So sometimes I see it, we're not quite as quick to pick up on that. And the same with presenting. It is not possible to take that presentation you would have given in person and then just flip it over into a virtual environment. It takes some consideration. It takes some thought. It needs to be created differently. It needs to look different. It needs to move differently. And again, I think we tend maybe get a little lazy and don't fully appreciate some of those communication skills. So it does take more effort to really connect with the audience. So that's on the presenter side. On the attendee side, I think it also takes a little more effort to set aside the time. I'm going to be at the IT annual meeting. It's going to be virtual. I'm not going to be doing email. I'm not going to be doing laundry. I'm here (laughs) to listen and engage. And I think the key piece of this is the networking thing. You know, that's been the part that we have perhaps struggled with is to replicate networking in a virtual environment. And all of these sessions, ITE annual meeting, uh, I was just part of the Texas Mobility Summit, they all created networking opportunities virtually. So we have to participate. We have to put ourselves out there. It doesn't necessarily feel as comfortable. Most of the people I work with as engineers and technical people, networking isn't their favorite thing anyway. (laughs) So it takes, I think, a little bit more effort on our part to really take full advantage of all that's put out there in that virtual environment. We talk about this being an ongoing process as far as learning some of these, what we called earlier, soft skills, communications, empathy, etc. For someone who's listening to this, who wants to grow in those areas, and let's say they're not part of leadership ITE, what are some of the opportunities that are out there? What should they be looking at to find out how they can grow in those areas? Well, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't say call me. <laughs> Happy to talk to you. That is, the, that is the work that I do. When I did those interviews, um, I asked that question to all the, the people that I talked to or leaders in the industry. What I discovered is that quite a lot of them look to associations like ITE. There are others who have uh, leadership training programs, management training programs as well. Uh, some that are designed for the state DOTs, others for consultants. So there's a number of them out there. Quite a lot of, particularly companies, provide their own leadership development program in-house. And I would say that the interviews that I did led me a bit to this conclusion. And it is that there are two types of in-house training programs. One is on what they would call business acumen. How does my company create a proposal How do we do our timesheets? What is our company culture? And that, I think, is entirely appropriate to be done Mm in-house. When we move to things like self-awareness and team building, collaboration, delegation, change management, dealing with difficult people, those are skills that really require someone who knows how to train, does know how to connect with people, how to create a training environment that is experiential, that is likely to stick. Too often what I hear is about a company will take their top managers and then they'll say, so you go do a program on delegation. (laughs) And so now we've taken their time away from high value work with their clients 
to have them do something that they actually don't have the skills to do. So at some point, I feel like that there is a shift that we need to really think about. If we truly value these skills, then it's time to get people who do know how to create connection with the participant, how to use stories to make it memorable, because we don't want it to be just one and done. Their time is too valuable to do one and done training that won't stick. And that's the kind of program that Leadership ITE is creating. You know, we like to say it's designed for transportation professionals by transportation professionals. And it's designed by someone like me who is skilled and trained in those kinds of speaking, communication, and training techniques. And that's what makes the difference. Shelly, as we get ready to wrap this up, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is one of the ways you describe yourself. You talk about being a recovering overthinker. Tell us a bit more about what you mean by that and how that was holding you back and how you changed your approach to both work and life to, as you say, think less and live more. Well, thank you for that question. And that's the name of my book. So thank you for mentioning that too. (laughs) And so, yeah, you know, my story is very similar to all those that we've been talking about. I'm an engineer by training and I've been in a technical field my entire career in transportation. And I too am very focused on problem solving data analytics, um, being logical and rational. And it worked great for a while until I moved into management. And then suddenly there wasn't as much data and yet I still had to make a decision. There were people issues, there were political issues, and it was just a world of uncertainty. And I found myself overthinking everything. So I would just be in this spin cycle of analysis paralysis and I couldn't make a decision. Mm -hmm. And I was so afraid of making the wrong decision because as engineers, we got to get the right answer. Mm -hmm. And I finally learned with some really talented leaders that I had a chance to work with that you have to also listen inside. Mm -hmm. There's that little voice inside that's grounded in our values. It's grounded in our principles. It's grounded in our experience. And that little voice is another data element. Now I am not one to say we should just blindly go with our gut. Mm -hmm. But I am one who teaches that we want to pay attention to the little voice. It is another data point. It is valid based in the neuroscience of it. So what I discovered is when I integrated all that thinking piece with that feeling side, that's when I could be a better manager, a better leader, make decisions in a complex environment, and that made all the difference. And that's the principle that we bring to Leadership ITE, and that's the principle behind my company, Blue Fjord Leaders. It actually came from this because in some traditions, land, like mountains, represents the power of thinking, water represents the power of emotion, and the fjord is that powerful integration of the two. And that's the principles that underpin the work that I do and that we bring to Leadership ITE of Blue Fjord leaders, harnessing both of those powerful attributes in our brain to be better managers and leaders. Well, Shelley, this has been fascinating. I've certainly enjoyed and learned quite a bit just in our discussion here, and uh, I hope that our listeners have as well. We've been talking on this edition of ITE Talks Transportation with Shelley Rowe. As you know, she is... uh, 
formerly of FHWA and USDOT, but currently and for the past decade or so has been with her own company, now known as Blue Fjord Leaders. Shelly, thanks so much for taking time to chat with us today. My pleasure, Bernie. Thank you.